Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3, which I've been using for the last couple of weeks, still applies for tonight, so we're going to use it again. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. There is none like him. And most of all, he is your Abba Father. So we praise you, Father. We praise you for how much you love us. We praise you for all that we have. I praise you for my home, for my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandsons, furry kids, possessions, everything that we have, everything comes from you. I praise you for your provision and your protection over each and every one of us. I praise you for the dreams and the visions mentioned in Joel 2.28 for being a part of our lives. I praise you for your healing virtues that each and every one of us count on. I praise you for favor and revelation and for being a new creation and living in these, although turbulent, prophetic times. I praise you, Father, for America. Any other place, we could be persecuted. Our doors could be kicked in. We could be arrested for doing this. But I thank you for living in a country that we can worship you freely. I praise you for the signs that you're getting ready to return. I don't know when that is. I wish I did. But I just praise you that we have the chance to get ready. So I want to pray. I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in accordance with Psalm 122, verse 6. May they prosper who love you. Lord, we know that the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem is the apple of your eye. So we pray for them. We pray their protection against all enemies. Pray for their leaders to do what's right before you, as we do in America. We pray for America and its leaders and its citizens in a time that seems to be increasingly dark. But we count on you to be the light to guide us through this. We're praying for justice and righteousness and all the evil that we're seeing to be exposed, but most of all be dealt with in accordance with your word. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, both in and out of the womb, the victims of injustice, both human and animal. Lord, we have just not been good stewards or good protectors of your creation. So I pray against the slaughter of the innocents. I pray I pray for the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, that diabolical, satanic enterprise. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Pray against the religious persecution and the anti-Semitism we see growing every day. We see the spirit of the Antichrist getting bolder and bolder, and Lord, it's increasingly ugly. We pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we 
get back to our divine design. So I pray healing for each and every one of you who are injured or sick right now, whether heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. Pray divine protection, a hedge of protection, a Psalm 91 covering over you and each and every one of us. I pray that for me and my family, for all the members of SRT and their family. Pray for inspiration. It's really easy to get worn down and want to lie down. But I pray that we'd have the fire of the Holy Spirit to keep us up and going. Pray for the remnant to wake up. Pray for those that have not heard the call, have not heard the word, that don't know that they're needed to arise. Rise up. Answer the call to action. Be a part of this final move of God. I pray those that have been called to bless would be a blessing. If you've been blessed, then be one. If you know somebody that's been blessed, tell them. Tell them about Firefall Talk Radio, about Solomon's Porch, about SRT, about what we're doing with Firefall Media Group. They won't know if nobody tells them. I'm praying for doors to open for each and every one of us that have a calling to do what we've been called to do, to prosper in accordance with his word, that the open conduits of his blessings to fund the dreams, to fund the visions and the missions would happen. And of course, I pray for all of our lost family members. We don't want to step off into eternity and for them to not be there with us. So, Father, I pray right now, I pray for those that are praying, that are offering up their prayer and supplication to you. I come into agreement with their prayers as they come into agreement with mine. So we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. You are everything to us. You are Abba, Papa, Dad. And we need you right now. We need your comfort. We need your strength. We need your provision. We need everything to get the job done, to keep going, to finish the race. And, Lord, we thank you. We never, ever want to take the cross for granted. We thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. We thank you for dying for us. But more importantly, we thank you that you're alive, that you sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power, and you allow us to sit with you in the heavenly places. We just thank you for your friendship and your love and just knowing you and being with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent back to walk with us, to guide us, to encourage us, to train us. Holy Spirit, we need to hear your voice. We need to We need to know what to do. We need to know what to listen to. We need some help right now. There's a lot of voices out there, and many of them are not from the throne room. So help us, guide us, protect us, watch over the technology, watch over this time. Let this word go forth and do what you desire it to do. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the Kingdom War. We're talking about it from a different perspective today. We're going to look at what it does in the natural, how it affects everything around us. But first, I want to start out again the way we have been starting. I don't do this as a ritual. I do this with thought and intent. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, yours is the kingdom we seek in its power and its glory, not just now, but forever on and into eternity. But until that time, we're living in a fallen world. So go with me to Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 9. 19, rather, I'm sorry. Romans 8, starting verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, some of these scriptures are taken out and given to you individually, but they are one thought. And it's for when the Lord comes back, when the sons of God are with him, when they appear with him, when the sky splits and they are revealed. It's about the coming age and the transformation of all creation. I don't know about you, but in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now, I think about that a lot. It was prophesied in Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19. He was prophesying about the glorious new creation to come. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Of course, that's the Lord speaking through Isaiah. So what Romans 8 is is telling us about is that even the natural world will be set free from bondage and decay. I think about that when I see the animals and I see how they're mistreated and I see how we mistreat them. I think about it in ways I'd never thought of before as I've gotten older. Yes, I have gotten older. I find it more and more difficult to eat animals. I'm not going to go into a tree-hugging speech here. I'm just telling you how I feel. I used to be a carnivorous meat eater. When I was growing up, my mother made um, cooked red meat three to four to five times a week. It probably um, helped me in my bodybuilding without me knowing it. But I can't do that anymore. Beside the fact that I can't process it, I don't want to do it anymore. It bothers me. It bothers me that we were created to be vegetarians. We only became meat eaters after the fall. 
And I don't really know why that is. I'm, I'm going to do some research and pray about it. I think it has something to do with the fact of being disengaged from the life-giving power of the earth that we had to get additional sustenance elsewhere. But part of all of that is the decay. It's the fallen nature of this world. And so I am thankful that God will not only liberate his children from the effects of a fallen world, he'll liberate all creation with them. The lion will lie down with the lamb. That None of that predatory activity in the animal kingdom will happen anymore. So Paul uses the groaning here in another way. It emphasizes the bringing forth of God's children from one kingdom to another, from one reality to another. So those birth pangs are significant. Many Jewish teachers expected a period of intense suffering just before the end of the age, the labor pangs of the Messiah or of the new messianic era. Now for them, the ones who missed Yeshua's coming the first time, their labor pangs will be much more severe. But the Lord talks about that in Matthew 24, starting with verse 6. And you hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. Then they would deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Paul, in effect, is referring back to this in Romans 8. He's presenting the painful period between the Messiah's coming In very simple terms, it's going to take suffering to bring forth a new age. The enemy is always doing counterfeit things. The enemy is always trying to bring in their new age. But the new age we're talking about is that new age when everything is put back to the way it was supposed to be. But the prophets also associated the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, with this promised future restoration. It it shows in Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, It shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men's servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is as Joel said. So I believe it began on the day of Pentecost and we're still in it. We're not there yet. It's still happening. The transformation is still happening. Ezekiel mentions it in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Zechariah 12.10 I will pour out on the house of David and on the people of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, which is unmerited favor and supplication. And they will look at me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him as one who weeps bitterly over a firstborn. And we know that's the prophecy of when the Lord splits the sky and Israel and Jerusalem see him. They'll see the one whom they've pierced. They'll see the one whom they've rejected. 
And they will have gone through some troubles and trials and tribulations to get to the birth of that messianic era, the millennial reign. But Paul assures us, as children of God, that we are guaranteed to participate in this present and future joy of the kingdom of God. See, you're not just an inhabitant. You're a participant. But when the fall happened in Genesis 3, and then culminated in Genesis 6 and the flood and everything that went with it, its consequences wasn't just on humans. It was on animals. It was on the earth. It was on everything he created. The consequences of human sin, decomposition, futility, corruption, affected everything. I read an article the other day that the concept of sin is hardly ever spoken of or taught of. It's hardly ever mentioned. And I went, I guess you haven't listened to the porch. I have no problem talking about that. But this deterioration is only temporary, folks. Because our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, has provided hope of deliverance in Yeshua. And He gave it to us first spiritually, and then finally physically. All of physical creation will be redeemed at the consummation of our redemption. And at that time, creation itself will be set free from enslavement to decay and will share in our glory. I don't know about you, but as I've I've worked on this all day and thought about it and took time to think and to meditate on the Word and to hear what the Lord was saying, this really resonated deep inside of me. I am tired of death. I'm tired of decay. I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of the enemy getting away with what he gets away with. I'm tired of seeing evil prosper. I am just tired of it of seeing what we do to his creation, to the animals, to people, to babies in the womb. It's all a part of that. I long for that to be over. I fight the fight. I do what I do. I answer the call because I want that so badly. But I also know the presence of his Holy Spirit in us is a foretaste of the life to come. And I don't take that for granted. You shouldn't either. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Messiah, as owned and protected by God. The Spirit is the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession, his believers, to the praise of his glory. You're his, you're marked, you're guaranteed. And we groan. I know I do. I know sometimes my prayers take on a groaning. I know sometimes my prayer language takes on a groaning. And it comes from deep within me. That although our souls are saved, our bodies are still subject to pain and to a sinful fallen world. And and Larry and I were discussing the other day, because we talk about that a lot, of having our mortal bodies changed and him renewing the dew of our youth and giving us the ability to run and do and um, all the things he needs us to do. The duality of our spirit man and our flesh man is a constant problem. And it's not just a a conflict in uh, regards to flesh and temptation and those things. It's a constant conflict in regards to what our bodies can do and what our spirit wants to do. The pain, the injuries, 
the sickness, the disease, the trauma, the accidents, all the things that have happened to us that, that we've done to ourselves or the world has done to us or have been passed down to us, they become tiring. The pain in the knees and the back, the, the dimming of the eyesight, whatever it is, it's all because we're in a fallen world. And even though our spirit has been redeemed, our body is still dealing with the effect of that. I'm not saying prayer doesn't help, it does. But the fact is, our cells are finite. Your DNA is programmed to make cells every fourth day. A new cell is made and it keeps going and it recreates the cell before. But eventually those cells break down. The process breaks down. And then when the electrical impulses of the heart stops going through the blood, keeping that all alive, there is no fourth day recreation when the cells come apart and decompose. Now, I personally don't believe that I will be done until I'm done. I don't believe I'll die. I believe I'll fly. And I believe that what he's called me to do is what I have to do before that moment happens. But the other thing I hold on to is Romans 8.11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Messiah from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. That quickening, that empowering. I pray that for you right now in the name of Yeshua. Some of you are beat down in mind, soul, and spirit. You're weighed down by the cares of this world. You've, you've spent too much time watching the news or listening to the enemy, and it's affected you physically and mentally. Right now, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach, be healed, be set free. Let the wind of the Spirit blow through you. Rise up. There's no time to lay down. There's no time to be tired. People are dying out there. People that you know are dying. They're headed for an eternity without their Heavenly Father. But let's look forward to the hope of our resurrection bodies when we'll be free from the physical frailty and the indwelling sin of our flesh and the battle that's always going on. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 20. But now Messiah has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Messiah the firstfruits, afterward those who are Messiahs at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. That last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he said all things are under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted. Now when all these things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him, that God may be all in all. Jump down to verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. So also this is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who is Yeshua, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was made of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as 
was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. The last enemy that is destroyed is death. It's not Satan. Satan, who is the inspiration of our demise, is already defeated, and he's bound for destruction. But the last enemy destroyed is death. Death will no longer have hold over you. And the reversal of Satan's actions is the final correction. See, the reversal of his actions reverses everything back to the garden. Picking it up in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This fight is rigged. Satan's a loser. He's already lost. Oh, he's, he's delaying the inevitable. He's keeping the fight going. But he can't win. He tells himself he can. He deludes himself like he does millions of others. But the fact is, he's already lost. And that last trump is not the last trumpet of Revelation 11.15, but it's the last trumpet of 1 Thessalonians 4.16. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54 ties to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Yeshua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. I can't even imagine what Satan and the fallen and their demonic offspring are going to think at that moment when they hear that heavenly shofar, when they hear the shout of the archangel declaring, the king is coming. But to us, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in Messiah's coming. This comfort that the king is coming for us. But for the kingdom of darkness and the fallen world, it's a fearful thing. Even if they don't know what it is, they'll be chilled to the bone. Their hearts will skip a beat. Their stomachs will drop. Our hearts will leap with joy. Go with me to Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. We're going to start to get even a little more serious here. Because the, the effect of this kingdom war, the effect of this battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, there are casualties. There's collateral damage. Hebrews 10, verse 26 for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment 
in a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Who's an adversary? Well, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much more punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews 10.31 is a scripture that has resonated in me since I got saved. It's a scripture I prophesied to some church elders in Tallahassee. When I looked at him and said, the time is coming and now is. And I was speaking of the church. And I was speaking about false prophets and false teachers. That a prophet of the Lord will walk up to one of these people, tap them on the chest and say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And that heart will stop and they will fall dead to the ground. The problem is there's no fear of that anymore. We have taken his grace and we have cheapened it. We have muddied it. We don't think he's a holy God. We don't remember him as a father who will correct us and chastise us and will not allow us to be destroyed by those around us who are seduced, who are spiritually sick. And I know this is not a a message anyone wants to hear, but if you sin willfully, and this isn't just the occasional accidental sin, which you confess and can be forgiven, but this is a conscious, repetitive rejection of God. It's called presumptuous sin, meaning you know it's sin and you do it anyway. I've got a couple of those pet peeves. I've been asked to start making videos, and some of the videos I'm going to make may not make people happy. People are doing what the world does and thinking he'll be okay with it. Oh, he'll forgive me. That's my dad. He knows I have needs. He knows this. He knows that. Well, so do you. You know You know things. You know the word. You know the difference between right and wrong. And a person who has sinned presumptuously in the Bible, especially in the Old Covenant, was to be cut off from the people because they were an influence on others, a bad influence. So to sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth is apostasy. It's falling away from the faith. It's falling away from what you know to be true. So if a believer decides to reject God's provision for his or her salvation, there's no remedy for that decision. And with no hope of forgiveness... All that can be expected is judgment and a fiery indignation. There's an entire world out there that has rejected him, has rejected his son, has rejected his rules and regulations, has thumbed their noses in his face under the influence of the fallen. Those who choose to disobey God have become adversaries of the kingdom of God. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous, disloyal sinners flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God, do you not know that being the world's friend, that is loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I would rather lose every friend in the world. I'd rather lose everything in the world. I'd rather lose the favor And anything this world has to offer then become his enemy. That's my dad. I love him. I don't ever want to be on the wrong side of him. Because I've been assured that the just shall live by faith. I can't live by my eyes. I can't live by what I see or what I hear. I have to live by the word and I have to live by faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, 
divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses, for by this kind of faith the men of old gained divine approval. By faith that is with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, we understand that the worlds, the universes, the ages were framed and created, formed, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. I'm jumping down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. By faith, with confidence in God and his word, Noah, being warned by God about events not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his family. By this act of obedience, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which comes by faith. Now faith is. That's what you're seeking. You're seeking now faith. The faith for whatever's going on now. The faith for whatever you need now. The faith for against whatever the enemy's doing now. The now faith that comes from the throne room. The now faith that's instantaneously imparted into your spirit directly from the connection to the throne room. That's what we're holding on to. As the world goes to heck in a handbasket, as everything seems dark, as everything seems to be falling apart, as sin seems to abound. Oh, and I know somebody said, but grace abounds much more. But yet that doesn't change the fact that sin has gotten worse. His grace is still amazing. I will never, ever discount that. But the effect of sin on me, on on those around us, on our loved ones, on our, our pets, our possessions, upon this fallen world, the effect of the sin in this nation of killing babies the way we do every day in the womb, the slaughter of the innocents, the feeding of Moloch, still going on. The celebration of perversion, the celebration of sin and death. If that doesn't bother you, something's wrong. If that doesn't eat at your spirit, something is wrong. And I know that there is some out there, hopefully nobody listening, that doesn't believe in the rapture of the church. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to be here during the period of time I've seen in dreams and vision, the period of time that's been prophesied, you're welcome to stay. Let me know how that works out for you. Because if you think it's ugly now, you haven't seen anything yet. When there's nothing to restrain the fallen, when there's nothing to restrain their demonic offspring, when there's nothing to restrain the things coming up out of the pit. I believe the rapture of the church, that First Thessalonians Trump bit, singles, signals the end of the age. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That means that those who have died in Messiah, and those who are living at that time, will be changed second. You're saying, Richard, why, why are you, this is pretty serious. This is pretty heavy. Why are you telling me this? You have a job. And that job is to tell people about the good news, to tell people about the, the Lord, to tell them that there's a way out, there's a freedom from all of this. But the other job you have is to warn them. For God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. What we're dealing with in America right now is a stifling of the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them in their inner consciousness. For God made it evident to them for ever since the creation of the world. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship. 
all his creation, the wonderful things he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. For even though they knew God as their creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless with pointless reasonings and silly speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image worthless idols in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their lust of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin because by choice they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading and vile passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, contrary to nature. And in the same way also men turned away from the natural function of the woman and were consumed by their own desire towards one another, men with men, committing shameful acts and in return receiving in their own bodies the inevitable and appropriate penalty for their wrongdoing. For since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing as their creator, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are improper and repulsive. Until they were filled, they were permeated, they were saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, mean-spiritedness, gossip, spreading rumors, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient and disrespectful to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, without pity. Although they know God's righteous decree and his judgment that those who do such things deserve death, yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically improve and Prove and tolerate others who practice them. Verse 21 says, For even though they knew God as creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks for his wonderful creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless, pointless reasoning, silly speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Anyone who attributes the existence of this world to chance or to a different creator, is already guilty of deliberately rejecting God because to deny the one true God, you must set aside all common sense. And Paul's indictment of the idolatry of the images is, is both logical and devastating. He emphasizes that the idols are essentially copies of living creatures, whether in human form, as for example in the ancient or Greek or Roman mythology or the Egyptian idolatry or metaphysics or whatever. But these images are clearly powerless. Because even if they were living creatures representing hybrids and monsters or other creatures walking the earth, they couldn't even create as much as a grain of sand. They cannot create. They can only imitate. They create counterfeits and deceptions. Let me tell you about a very recent deception. I hope nobody that's listening celebrated that conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn as the star of Bethlehem or a Christmas star. It's not. You know why? This should be really simple. The Star of Bethlehem that announced the coming Messiah was a one-time event for a one-time event. He's not being born again. He's already been born as a child. That's not happening again. So there's no need for that star. 
What that was was a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter on their winter solstice, which has more pagan meaning than it should have for the church. But I cannot tell you how many people on social media, including Christian websites and, and blogs, Oh my God, did you see the star of Christmas? Are you kidding me? You're so desperate for a sign that you don't even know what you're seeing. As a as a friend of mine, a former friend of mine once said, people don't even know what they don't even know. But what is Paul referring to here about these lifeless images that they worship? He's referring back to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 4. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol or any likeness, form, or manifestation of what is in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth as an object to worship. Our relationship with him must only be with him in love and loyalty, in fidelity of a, of a betrothed relationship. That's why in Luke chapter 4, when Satan was trying to tempt Yeshua in the wilderness, he took him up in verse 5, he took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Really interesting. I mean, Satan is out of time. He's outside of time, and he was able to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world that had been, are, and would be coming. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. He was giving him a way out from the cross. Hey, you don't have to die. You don't have to suffer here. I'm going to give it all to you. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And some people will tell you that there were no other gods. These were meaningless images. Well, if there weren't other gods out there to deceive and seduce, this command makes no sense. We know where those gods were from. We've talked about them. They were in the land of Canaan. They were an end result of Genesis 6. Very quickly, we're going to pick. We're going to go deeper into this. I was setting this up to get to this. Deuteronomy seven verses one through six: When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, He will clear away many nations ahead of you: the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. Numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles, the poles that are created to Ashtaroth, which is a foreshadowing of Jezebel, and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Canaanites, a land that he had given to them, it was their land given to Abraham, 500 years earlier, is now in the hands of the, basically the offspring of the fallen, the Nephilim and those that uh, that came with them. The Canaanites, as a culture, they committed sins of idolatry, temple prostitution, adultery, sexual sins of all kinds of things. Some were incredibly unimaginable. Incest, murder, bestiality, rape, child sacrifice. And what did he say to do? Completely and utterly exterminate them. This 
doesn't make sense to a lot of people. They don't understand how God can do that. It's easy for me to understand. It's easy how I understood he drowned a whole planet except for eight people. Everybody else was not his. He didn't create them. They were the result of the fallen intermingling with the daughters of Adam. This is the end result of sin. But you know what? We have an answer to that. He always makes a way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The power of God, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, the salvation offers an escape from his wrath and punishment. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Yes, they corrupted the earth. Yes, all creation groans. Yes, it's decaying and dying and time is slowing down and everything is changing. But there is a final solution. The final solution is redemption. That's your job. That's your calling. I don't do what I do with SRT and with my brothers in SRT because I like warfare or I like the attacks, I do it to get people saved, healed, and delivered to destroy the kingdom of darkness and pull kingdom people into the kingdom of light. The gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit is the fuel of transformation for the kingdom of God. This is how we transform things. The good news that God's power to deliver the world and people from unrighteousness is available and it's coming. It doesn't eliminate the fact that if people persist in their sin and refuse his gospel, refuse his son, that they have sealed their own fate. But he's offering them a way out. He's offering this world a way out. When I pray every day for what's going on in this nation, I'm not putting my hope in men. I'm putting my hope in the fact that he is a righteous and a holy and a just God. And I'm praying for him to impart his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice in very unrighteous, unholy, unjust situations. To be the enemy of injustice, to be the enemy of lies, and to pull it all out into the light. I'm crying out for redemption, for America, for grace, and for mercy. I know certain things have to happen. I know prophecy has to be fulfilled. But like Moses, I say to him, Lord, would you destroy the just with the unjust? Would you destroy your righteous children with those that are unrighteous? I wish I knew what the answer was going to be. I wish I knew what he was going to do. All he tells me is watch. Sit back and watch. But folks, we're in a war. And it's a war between two kingdoms. And even though one kingdom is more powerful and is already victorious, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness, refuses to submit. So, Father, I come to you right now, and I pray that you'd infuse into your children this fire, this passion, this desire to do what we've been called to do, to set the captives free, to tell them of the good news of your Son, and to shine the light into the darkness. Lord, hit your children, hit them. Hit them with the light, hit them with the love, and hit them with the fire. And I just pray this with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my spirit in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grand. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.